0: All right. let's return back to the text we just read, and I'll draw you to verse number four, and that's where we'll uh, take our text and our subject from tonight. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Our subject tonight deals with these promises, and how precious they are! This epistle was written by Simon Peter. Uh, Peter penned these words in his old age, uh, shortly before he was martyred. Uh, he states in Second Peter chapter one verse fourteen, he says, "Shortly, I must put off this tabernacle." Uh, Peter was at least aware that his departure, his decease, was on the horizon. He certainly knew that his time to leave the tabernacle of his earthly body was soon to come. In the first verse of that second Peter, he recalls himself a servant, or we might say a bond servant first of Christ, and then he calls himself an apostle. Of course, we know Peter was sent by Christ directly. He had a commission from the Lord, he received his doctrine directly from the words of the Lord Jesus. And so we know that the epistle as he penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, was primarily addressed to believers. Second Peter 1 is primarily a, a chapter and a book of encouragement for the believers. Uh, now, not that there is not a message that can be found about uh, the gospel, but it's primarily addressed to those who are already in the faith. Those who are referred to as having a like faith, a faith that is common, a faith that is a precious faith. This faith is the same faith that the apostles spoke of. There is only one faith. It's what's referred to as the common faith. It's common to all believers. If you're a believer in Christ tonight, we all share that in common. We have something that unifies us. We're unified by that common faith. It's common to every believer. It's the same in its source. We get that faith directly from God. It's the same in its object. Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. And the results of the faith are the exact same. We all are traveling on the exact same road. Our destination is all the same. We're all as moving towards the time when our departure will be at hand, whether through death or through the Lord's second coming. But it is a common faith. It is something of great value. It's a promise that we've been given. Secondly, this faith is a saving faith. It's worth more than silver, and it's worth more than gold. It's worth any earthly possession we could think of. There's nothing greater than to have this faith in Christ. It is through faith in Christ that we are justified. We are uh, determined to be in legal standing with the opportunity and the ability to stand before the Lord. Uh, We're made heirs of God, and we're called joint heirs with Christ. And it is this faith, that is precious. This faith, it comes to us through the merits and the righteousness of Christ our Savior. That's how we received it. Christ is the one. Faith is the gift of God. We've been given this faith. It is the righteousness of Christ. It's the gift. Where the righteousness of Christ is imputed into our account, we are counted as righteous. But faith is also, we're also given faith to receive this message. Abraham was chosen of God and accepted in the beloved. He was an object of God's grace and revelation. The Bible says he believed God. And he, this faith was credited to him as a right standing with God. John 10 verses 22 through 28 tells us that those who are his, his sheep will hear his voice and they will believe. So we are talking about that which is common to all of us who are in the faith, all who are in Christ. Now, the world as a whole can't say that. We can't all say that these promises that Peter speaks about here are precious because they're only precious to those who are in the faith. Interestingly, one of the key phrases in chapter 1, although we're not going to expound this entire chapter, is the use of the phrase, these things. Uh, You'll notice these things is mentioned in verse 8, in verse 9, in verse 10, and then he uses it in uh, one other, in verse number 12, and he's speaking about these things. It is these things that connect all of these promises together. Uh, We see there in verse number one, it's referred to as precious faith. Uh, We see in verse four that it's referred to as precious promises. You can kind of see a theme happening here. The word precious is taking center stage. It's taking uh, the, the, the preeminent place in our thoughts and in our minds tonight that whatever this thing that we have is, whatever this standing that we have, it is called a precious thing. And anything associated with this standing in God is precious. Uh, We see throughout Scripture, we'll look at a couple passages tonight, that uh, the promises of God are precious. The blood of Christ is precious. The promises that were given are precious. But you'll notice he says something in verse 5 that really is, uh, it's really a challenging thought. He says, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Now, of course, he's not talking about adding anything to our salvation. But what he is saying is that we are to take all of these things in. We're to consider our standing and consider what we are and who we are in Christ. And we are to, uh, if you will, we are to add to our faith. In other words, we are to appropriately add these things to our faith. We're partakers of. Peter says, of a new divine nature. And to be a partaker means we are a recipient of that. We have received these promises. We have this standing before God. Notice again in verse 3, he says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So there's a few connections here. The like precious faith that's mentioned in verse one is connected to the precious promises in verse four. And the reason that we know these things is because of the knowledge of him in verse three that's been given to us. So the reason we have knowledge of the promises of God is because we have been given this knowledge directly from God himself. So this is not just common earthly knowledge. These are all things that are necessary or pertain, notice what he says, to life and godliness. These promises certainly ought to be considered precious to us. These promises are great. These promises are precious, but we must add to our faith. If we are partakers by this divine nature, this is and this is something that is going to occur. We are going to want to grow in our Christian walk and in our faith. Uh, it's been said that really what chapter one is is not only a reminder of these promises, but it's also a rule book of Christian growth. That these things he's adding to your faith, virtue, and adding knowledge, and temperance, and patience, and godliness. And this is because we have been given what he says. We've been given the power, the divine power in verse 3, to add these things to our faith. God has blessed his people with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 tells us that we have been given his Son, The Lord Jesus has given us all things in his son. It is in Jesus Christ we have all things. There is nothing that is lacking. There is nothing that we are are failing uh, to to receive. But again, notice in verse 8, Peter says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he says, if, if these things are in you, then these are going to make you fruitful. You are going to abound in these things. These, uh, these are not just promises that do not produce fruit. They're promises that actually demonstrate divine power in your life. He clearly says in verse nine, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, you shall never fall. So we see here that these promises are linked to our growth. These precious promises ought to lead us to grow in our faith, not to remain stagnant, not to remain as we once were, but to grow. Now, this word precious is an interesting word, and if you were to do a word study, you would find that the association with the word precious comes up in a number of different passages, and that's kind of what we're going to do tonight. We've, we're kind of over on a high view looking at this chapter and that verse number four, but I wanted you to see where the word precious is used and what connection it's being used in. Uh, If you'll turn over to 1 Peter 2, verse 7, we see another use of this word as it directly relates to Christ, or what we might say, our precious Savior. 1 Peter 2, verse 7, "'Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious.'" But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Notice he says that those who believe that he is precious are those who believe in Christ. They are those who are not ashamed to call the name of Christ. There's no question tonight that if you are in Jesus Christ, he is in fact a precious Savior to you. Uh, He is, there is nothing more valuable, there is no earthly possession that is more precious than Christ. And the fact that he is our precious Savior. You know, how disheartening would it be to be seated here tonight and for me to be explaining to you, I have a precious Savior, don't you wish you had that Savior yourself? Or that I was somehow in possession of something so precious that you couldn't get your hands on it. But it is our precious Savior. How do we know He's ours? Because He's precious to everyone who believes. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then no doubt the word precious comes to your mind because He is, in fact, of great value. Christ is that treasure that we see in the parables. He is that treasure that's hidden field. He is that pearl of great price. He is that that great treasure that every believer would part with every earthly possession they had in order to obtain that treasure that he is. Again, remember, Peter's making mention not only to a like precious faith, a common faith, but he says we also have this common precious Savior. Well, why is he precious? We can say, is he precious because of his appearance? Is he precious because of what he does for us? Well, the second expression of how precious he is, it really, we could put this first, is found in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. And we see the precious blood of Christ. Now, 1 Peter 1, verse 18 says, "...for as much as you know that you were not redeemed..." with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last days or last times rather for you who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might, might be in God. Now notice Peter in chapter 1 of 1 Peter makes mention that you were not redeemed by corruptible things that are considered precious, silver and gold. Your salvation was not purchased by things of the earth or the world looks as valuable, but by the precious blood of Christ. The contrast here is striking. Well, why is the blood of Christ precious? We see that expression. We've heard that expression. But why is it precious? Why is it valuable? Well, the first, and again, not to say this in a, a way that we don't realize, but an obvious way is it's precious because it's his blood. It's the blood of what, what Peter makes mention as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Uh, to be without blemish and to be without spot is to have absolutely no impurity in it. It hearkens us back to the Old Testament when the lambs that were given for the sacrifice had to be lambs without blemish. They had to be lambs without spot the Lamb's blood had to be blood that was pure. And this is the Lamb of God. It is His blood that is precious. It's the blood not only of Christ the God, but also the man. It's the blood of the God-man. It is He who died in our place. It is He who was hung upon a cross and shed His blood becoming our propitiation, becoming our substitute, and he shed his blood in our place. Now we understand that the blood was ordained of God as the atonement. It would be the manner in which sins would be atoned for. Every Old Testament sacrifice that included the blood was to be an atoning sacrifice, but that atonement, as we all know, was only temporary. It would not cover sins eternally. His blood is indeed precious because it not, doesn't just atone for our sins for one year, it atones for our sins for eternity because it is precious blood. The blood also being shed, it is precious because it reveals our Savior's love for us. He who loved us shed his blood for us. That makes it precious. Scarcely will a man give up his own life for someone else. But yet he shed his precious blood for us. I hope tonight that, and not just tonight, but I hope that you meditate often and you think about Christ's love. We sing about Christ's love nearly every time we gather in worship. We speak, we speak about the blood, we talk about the blood, but do we really think about what, how precious His blood is? Now, I know the world doesn't understand that. The world doesn't understand why do you make such a big deal about blood. Well, we know scripturally because life is in the blood. But we know it to be, it is life-giving blood. It is the blood that has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. It is the blood that has now given us forgiveness of our sin. It is the remission that our sins are forgotten as far as the east is from the west. He who loved us shed his blood for us. We sing that hymn, my Savior's love. We sing about the grace that's greater than our sin. He ought to be our precious Savior, because His blood is precious. But His blood also does something else. It is His blood that satisfies the divine justice that's required by God. There is no other item, there is no other person, there is no other thing that would satisfy the demands of a holy God other than the blood of Christ. You could take man's greatest possession and set it before God the Father. You could set it before God and you could say, okay, this is the most precious possession that I have. This is the most valuable, think about it, this most valuable stone in the world. And yet that would not be enough to satisfy the demands of a holy God. Only his blood satisfies. It satisfies, removes our sin. It secures our forgiveness. It grants us pardon. Justifies us and promises us eternal glory. And on the same token as saying how the blood of the Lord and his love for us. I want us to think about it for a minute that the blood was shed for us. It was shed for us. That makes it precious. All these things make the blood of Christ of great value, the highest value that can be attained, our precious Savior and His precious blood. Number three, we'll go back to Second Peter 1, 4, and you'll notice Peter makes mention of these, exceeding great and precious promises. Promises are given to us by faith. These promises are given to us through the gift of faith. Promises are exceeding great and precious promises. Why are the promises of God precious? Well, quite simply because they're the promises of a God, a God who loves us and a God who has sent his son to die for us. They're precious because they're God's promises. God who cannot change. God who is not double-minded like we are, who makes a promise and then retracts it. His promises are secure. His promises are unquestionable. They are sure. And think about it for a moment. How exceedingly great are the promises of God. All of God's promises are exceedingly great. They speak of exceedingly great, they're exceedingly great and precious because they are the promises of an exceedingly great and precious God. The promises convey precious things. Pardon of sin, peace with God, protection, provision, God's providence, God's perfections, preservation, preservation, all these things are the result of the promises of God. We think about what Christ has given to us. There's a promise of a new and everlasting covenant. Promises of forgiveness, promises of sanctification, promises of our union with Christ, the promise of eternal life. What Peter's talking about here is the promise that we have been made partakers of not only these promises which are to come, but we are partakers of a new nature, a new man, a new life. Paul wrote about this in Galatians 2 and Galatians 9, that about Christ being formed in us. It really is promises that we ought to hold very dear. We know that as long as we're in these earthly bodies... We know that there is still going to be corruptness in us. There's still going to be our conducts, not what we always ought to be. But our new nature that's been given to us makes us desire God's holiness. We desire a change in our life. That's what he's talking about when he says, add to these things because you have a new man inside of you that seeks things that are godly, things that are holy. See, it's not just sitting back on the promises and say, wow, I'm so glad I have these promises and I don't have to do anything. No, these promises and this new life that's given to us makes us want to seek after godliness and wants us to turn away from the prevailing corruption and sin of the world. It's that rule of Christian growth. We're growing more and more like our precious Savior. It is a precious promise and promises. four, we have our precious faith, again, we started off by that first verse that says, we have obtained a like precious faith. Folks, the very essence of the faith which we have ought to be a treasured possession. When you think about all the things that you have obtained in this life and you think about all the things, and and again, I know God gives us, he gives us liberally. He blesses us with with physical, temporal blessings. And I'm not saying we we shouldn't have those things, but I'm telling you that our faith, that is the gift of God, is the greatest treasure we can possess. And again, when we get to this time of year, we often think about treasures that this earth provides and the treasures that people want and the things that they think they need to obtain. And yet, the most precious possession we have is that faith that is the gift of God. That's based upon the promises of God. And the fact that we can sit here tonight and have a common, like, precious faith, and that we've obtained it the exact same way, it's been obtained through Christ. The doctrine of our faith, the gospel is precious. I'm not sure how this affects you, but every time I read about the gospel, every time I hear the gospel preached, every time I hear what I deserve and every time I hear what I, what I am apart from God, I become more and more thankful that God opened my eyes to see and opened my ears to see and to hear the truth of the gospel and saved my soul. I never grow weary Of the gospel I wonder a believer a person who claims to be a believer how would you ever grow tired of hearing about the preciousness of the blood of Christ and the preciousness of our Savior and the preciousness of our faith the preciousness of the promises that God has given to us faith is a gift it's precious Something that's considered precious is because typically it's rare. But you know what faith does? Faith honors God. It saves the soul and it gives all glory to God. We can't take any credit for the faith in which we have. We can't take any credit for the gospel. It has been given to us. So it is a precious faith. In 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 7, Peter also uses a word or an expression about something else that's precious. And I will tell you, this is the one that makes us, oh, preacher, I was doing really well until we got to this, but notice that Peter uses the same word precious with regard to trials. In 1 Peter 1, verse 6, he says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ." Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Peter says two pretty profound things here. He says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though you are in heaviness, temptations. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes. Our precious faith must be tried. It's the trial of our faith. And Peter says that the trial of your faith is more precious than gold. Trials prove whether your faith is actually genuine. And it reveals God's love for us. The trial of our faith is precious not because we enjoy trial. It's not because we enjoy suffering. It's precious because what trials do is it causes our love, our faith, and even what Peter says here, our joy in Christ to grow. See, sometimes even Christians get this backwards. They say, you know, I can't get to a place where I love the trial, where I get up every day and I say, God, give me more, give me more. Give me more affliction. Give me more struggles. Give me more, give me more illnesses. Give me." That's not what the point is. The point is, is that through those afflictions, It's what's actually the preciousness of it It isn't the fact of the suffering, that we're supposed to love the suffering. No, it's what the trial of the faith is going to result in. That I'm going to have a deeper love for my Savior. Even though I call him precious tonight, he's going to grow more precious because of the trial of my faith. I am going to have a faith that is strengthened because of the trial. And then we hear this word during this time of year. We hear the word in secular society. We hear the word joy more in December than we do at any other part during the year. Because the word joy is used during this Christmas season. Now I will say a lot of times the word joy doesn't have the same meaning that it does in biblical terms. We often mistake joy as something that is, oh, I'm always happy or I'm always, I'm always up. There's never these, these down moments. No, that's not what he means at all. This, this joy is a spiritual joy. This is a spiritual satisfaction. This is finding this complete contentment that even in the trial of my faith, it makes me anticipate and look forward to what's coming. You see, if you keep reading, and we read this when we read the whole chapter, notice he says um, in verse 11 of 1 Peter 1, notice this isn't even the text we read. It says, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. There's something more that's coming. Now, Peter, back in, in 2 Peter 1, starts talking about this when he starts talking about his own coming death. Peter knew what the trial of the faith was. Paul knew what it was to have his faith tried. But he says in verse 11, for so, in first, 2 Peter 1, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, these precious promises that we're talking about tonight are not just for temporal, they're not just for this life. The joy that we are looking forward to and the joy that we have in these trials causes us to not only love our Savior more, our faith to grow, and our joy in Christ to grow, but it also gives us great cause to praise God for the inheritance that's coming. Peter writes those words and he says, I will not be negligent to put you in remembrance, always. Folks, you know, one of the greatest privileges we have when we gather as believers is to put each other in remembrance, to remind each other of what's coming and to remind each other of our standing in Christ. You know, often it's been said, and again, this is, this is not intended to be uh, derogatory in any way, but often it's said when a church gathers and someone says, listen, it won't matter if I'm not there. It always matters. Because you know what part of our responsibility is, is to encourage each other. And to put each other in remembrance of the joy that is set before us and what's coming. And that realizing we're all, as our faith is being tried, the encouragement that we find in one another. But even Peter, he says, I'm going to always put you in remembrance of these things, though ye know them. Notice how he doesn't say, I need to remind you or teach you new doctrine. He said, I just need to remind you of the things you already know. And be established in the present truth. And I love what he said. He said, yeah, I think it meet or fitting as long as I'm in this tabernacle. He's talking about his own earthly body to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Peter said, as long as I have breath in this body, I'm going to put you in remembrance of the things you already know. Listen, you may come to, you may come to a, a, a corporate service together like this and you may walk out the door and you may not have heard one single new thing. Yet you will have been reminded and put into remembrance, which is what we're supposed to be doing. Reminding again and again and again of the preciousness of Christ, the preciousness of his blood, the preciousness of our faith, the preciousness of his promises. And even the preciousness of our trials. Over the last month, we've been dealing a lot with trials and afflictions on Wednesday nights. We've been talking a lot about it. It's been the subject in some way, shape, or form. Yet here Peter says, this is a precious thing. It's more precious than gold. And then the final one, I think, is connected to what Peter is saying in 2 Peter 1, when he says, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. You notice he uses the word our. Our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we know he was writing to believers. He was writing to those who had this common faith. Christ had showed him and told him Go all the way back and you look in the book of John in John 21 and Christ had told him he was going to die the death. Yet at this point, Peter is now, I think, if you take it into context, he's not looking at his death as something bad. He's looking at his death as something precious. Which leads us to the sixth one, our precious death. Psalm 1:16-15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Now again, it is not saying, I love the thought of dying. I love to think about how it might happen. That's not what he means. As a matter of fact, this verse in Psalms about the preciousness in the sight of the Lord is connected you see, if, if Psalm 116, verse 15 is correct, and it is. And precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Think about this for a minute. How precious then, how valuable, must the death of Christ have been? But they're connected. Why is the death of the saint precious? It's precious because of the death of Christ. Remember, as we're put into remembrance of the sacrifice, the blood that was shed by Christ, the obedience and the death under the cross that Jesus endured. The death of His saints can only be precious in the sight of God on the sole account of Christ's death because it's His righteousness that allows us to stand blameless before a holy God. So why is the psalmist saying precious is this in, the sight, precious is the, in the, the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints? Because they are precious in the sight of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason the death of the saints can even be considered precious is because of our precious Savior. Now, of course, because we know about the promises of heaven, the promises of eternal life, Our seventh of these promises is the promise of heaven. We might state it this way. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints through the death of the just one. Jesus Christ dying for the unjust. Precious then is the death of the saints in His sight because to be absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. That's the promise of heaven that's the promise that although we will pass through death and although we will pass through trials we have ever before us and to be continually reminded and remembering that there is coming a day when we will step out into eternity and the moment we step in we will be present with the lord i've had people ask me point blank they said do you do you believe that that's exactly the way it is and i said absolutely positively i agree and believe that that's how it's going to be. That the moment you're absent from this body, immediately you will be in the presence of the Lord. And if you take that connected with 2 Corinthians 5, 8, which is where Paul makes that statement, and you connect that with Psalm 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, what a picture this paints. Peter is describing faith the faith by which we're saved is something precious and to be reminded of and to remember. We might say that these precious statements, the precious trials, the precious death, the precious promises of heaven, our faith, the precious blood of Christ, the promises, our Savior. These are really, we could even define these as the seven precious promises of heaven. Heaven and being in glory with our Savior, all of these things are going to become sight. Our Savior will never be more precious than when we see Him face to face and we see Him as He is and we are like Him. But we are to think upon Him now as our precious Savior. Simply tonight, and I'm asking myself this question, is there anything that you value as more precious than Christ. You see, there is nothing more. There's no flaws in the preciousness of Christ. I could buy the most precious of stones. I could buy the most precious of possessions. And all of those things are going to corrupt. All of those things are ultimately going to pass away. There's no flaws in Christ. There's no flaw in his nature. There's no flaw in his character. There's no flaw in his sacrifice. There's no flaw in his blood. There's no flaws in the preciousness of Christ. Brethren, I hope our understanding tonight is simply that we never lose sight of the precious truths of our salvation or ever cease to be encouraged by them. If we begin to grow cold to the things of the gospel growing cold to the things of Christ. We really have to we really need to check ourselves and think, am I really in the faith? How could we grow tired of something that valuable and that precious? Or how could something supplant it? The world and all of its shiny things? All those things that are vying for our eyes and vying for our attention? There's an intention to try to supplant that which is most precious in your life. And the most precious thing that we have is Jesus Christ. And I hope tonight that that is where your most precious possession is, is your standing in Christ. These are the precious promises. Let's pray together, and then we'll sing a closing hymn. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for these texts that remind us again of how precious you are and putting us into remembrance. Father, may we all evaluate our life tonight and evaluate what we hold most dear, what we treasure the most. Father, may we think often upon the blood of Christ and its preciousness and what it means for us and how we need to be told over and over and over again that without the shedding of his precious blood, there would be no remission of sin. There would be no forgiveness of sin. We would have no no promises. We would have nothing to rely on. The promises of God would cease to be if there was no blood that was shed. And Father, may we rejoice in these truths tonight. Father, we thank you that it's through the gospel that we were saved, we were brought to repentance, we were brought to belief, and that now as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have this like precious faith. May we never take a single meeting of our believing, uh, this believing body for granted, and may we never once take our faith for granted. We love you and we thank you, Lord, for this time that we have. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.